Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Duzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. We are excited to be here. Any sort of pre-Halloween show is always going to be pretty fun around here, but I can tell you right now from the pre-show banter, it is going to be fantastic. Let's get rolling. Election Day is quickly approaching, but are Coloradans voting? According to Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, only 12% of ballots have been turned in so far. Meanwhile, Colorado clerks are being forced to double down on their efforts to educate voters in the voting process due to continued claims of voting fraud from the 2020 election. School board elections are heating up this year with the funding for candidates across the state skyrocketing when compared to the last election. Patty Cahoon from Westward, fresh back into town. Thank you for making it. Uh, only a few days left in the 2021 Colorado election. It's been a little sleepy except for school board races, which that seems where all the money's going. What are you taking away from what we've heard so far? Well, I don't think it's been all that sleepy, say, in Park Hill, which continues to explode with arguments back and forth. You also have the 2F over the group home, group living arrangement. I've heard a lot about that, too, because if, peop if people in their 20s can afford to live with just two unrelated adults in a home in Denver, they are doing very well. I mean, many of us lived in communal but not hippie arrangements. When we were younger, I mean, that's how you afford rent in a lot of parts of town. And they're looking at rolling back something that is only an acknowledgement of what life is like now in 2021. So there are a lot of really important measures on this ballot. I don't think it's that sleepy. I think people are just waking up to a lot of the issues. They take a lot of time to figure out, too. And if anyone needs help, feel free to call me. I have many, many opinions on this we're not getting to today. <laughs> that is a, a truly a, a really community service there, Patty. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, do you expect that people are just kind of sitting on the ballots, that we'll see a, um, a pretty decent turnout uh, this year when it's all said and done? Well, decent, relatively speaking, to what you'd expect. This is you, you have the highest turnout in presidential election years, lower turnout in the off years, the even-numbered years in between, and even lower in what's in the off-off year. Uh, you know, we don't have a lot of big personalities, you know, pro or con, bringing, uh, bringing people to vote. And, and I think, you know, my wife and I haven't voted yet uh, because it, it is a complicated ballot. I know what I think on the statewide issues and even on Boulder City Council, but haven't yet had time to look into the Boulder School Board. And then there, there's all these ballot measures in Boulder, some of which you can tell whether you're, you're for or against based on just the, the title. Others, you know, there could be all these kind of sleazy things in there. And, and knowing the Boulder City Council, I would expect that, like, you know, to remove obsolete language and improve things, you know, it, it says uh, you, you got to to be informed. We actually got to go look at the blue book and find out what the, what the real thing is. So I'm, I'm not surprised people need some time to figure this kind of stuff out. Eric Sonnen, political analyst and also a columnist with the Gazette newspapers and Colorado Politics. Uh, Eric, school board elections uh, used to be the ones that are tough to, to uh, really research. Even political junkies like us, well, I've got to dig in a little bit more. And I'm grateful for you know, uh, my local paper, the Highlands Ranch Herald, because they actually had quotes from candidates there. So it's like, we're well, able to make a decision there. But the money coming into the school board races, uh, everything that we thought was politics in state house and state senate, it's going all the way down to school board. Are we going to start seeing some pretty serious ramifications from that investment? 
Well, welcome to the new era. And it's not brand new this year. It's been going on for a few election cycles that school board politics have become incredibly polarized, just like politics at every other level of our government. They're polarized uh, and they're increasingly expensive. They're attracting money. I think this is a sleepy election um, as far as a lot of voters are concerned. Not people around this table, not a lot of talkers. There's much we're paying attention to. But as, as far as many voters, you know, voters were worn out by politics during the Trump era and the immediate post-Trump era. I think a lot of voters are just wanting to take a breather. Uh, first, as my public service, I would offer anyone who's in doubt about this ballot, they can call me and I will give them the counterpoint <laughs> to what Patty tells them. I'll give them the, you know, God's truth, of course. Uh, there are a couple things I'm wa watching for uh, when these returns come in. I'll just tick them off. One is there's a new conservative theory operating in Colorado, which is that this has become a blue state in terms of elected Dems versus Republicans, elected officials. But in terms of ballot issues, tax cuts, whatever, it is still a fiscally conservative electorate. I'll be paying attention to where that's the case. Secondly, there's the school board races you referenced, Dominic. Third is the Denver ballot. Patty referenced it, but it is a very full ballot with a, f a few minor things on it, but a lot of consequential stuff on it as well. Uh, and the fourth one is our neighbors to the east in Aurora, uh, where there is a battle royale going on for control of that city council between left and right. Uh, and I, I have no prediction on how many of those will turn out. Marianne Goodland, chief legislative reporter at Colorado Politics, joins us. Thank you so much for being here, Marianne. Uh, it seems it's, it, it's kind of funny. This is just human nature, but people get really excited and passionate about, you know, the, the presidential race and the congressional and Senate races. But the people that actually really impact our lives, the people that, in fact, that will impact our schools, our kids go to, the, the stop sign, the potholes in front of our house or wherever else is going on, those the elections are happening right now. Are they getting enough attention for the people that really impact our lives? I have to think so. <clears throat> We've got a, a story coming out this weekend about the school board races, and I want to kind of get into that a little bit. Uh, one of the things that, that we found out from one of the people we interviewed is that the number of candidates who have filed for these school board races is double what it was in 2017 and 2019. And you look at places like Cherry Creek, where uh, from 2011 on, they have canceled every election or they've appointed candidates by acclamation because they had lack of opposing candidates. That's not the case this year. Uh, uh, the Thompson School District up in Loveland, same issue. They, they have more people running for these school board races than ever before. And, of course, it hits on these really hot-button topics like mask mandates and critical race theory, which nobody's curriculum actually includes anyway. So, and, and then some of the... Uh, other issues, the more traditional issues that have driven school board races in the past, such as parental choice. So I, I think what we're heading into next Tuesday could be real interesting in terms of who takes control on a lot of these big uh, school boards. Phase one of the Great Hall expansion Denver International Airport was completed this week, albeit behind the original schedule. Mayor Michael Hancock says this is just the beginning of major changes at the airport, he says, will change the city of Denver for the better. Meanwhile, the airport is still struggling to deal with the fact that since the pandemic, it is one of the busiest, busiest airports in the world. David, uh, DIA has had more than its fair share of issues, but I guess the big question we've been talking about here is, are we really on the road to improvement, not just from the mess we've been encountering the last couple of years, but from the, what was, I guess, the status quo before they even uh, put up any of the big walls? Do you see improvement on the horizon, at least this, this ribbon cutting this week? 
I can't say the improvement is so close that you you could see it on the horizon, but there's a chance it may come eventually. And I'd say kudos to the, the new airport manager, Phil Washington, who is talking about addressing one of the, one of the real fundamental design flaws of the airport in the first place, which is if the trains aren't working, you're trapped at concourses B and C. And that was ridiculous to design in the that way, but the airport wasn't built for the convenience of the traveling public. It was built as, as a, a jobs project for the construction in, industry and Federico Pena's monument to himself. But if they would let people have an alternative for how to get to the concourses, that would be huge. The, the sensible thing is to have underground walkways. That's what they do at Chicago O'Hare Airport and at Washington Dulles. Of course, it'll be much more expensive to dig things up and build them now as opposed to doing things right in the first place. But for having Denver Airport management do things right, do something right, that would be tremendous. <laughs> I, uh, David, I wholeheartedly agree on the whole uh, tunnel idea. The Cincinnati Airport, which I've only been to once, but is almost the exact same design, except you can walk all the way to Concourse C because originally they, didn't, they weren't trying to put in a uh, defunct luggage system. But yeah. anyway, we digress. Eric, you are actually a recent traveler to DIA, so you have encountered some of the issues we're talking about here. Your thoughts? Well, I'm very glad you put this topic on the list, Dominic, because it is also my column this week, which will come out Sunday in Colorado politics, so I uh, hope viewers will go become readers of that column. Uh, what a scene we encountered. We were there two weeks ago exactly, as we're taping this show, two Fridays ago. Uh, we were on our way home from a, a trip and went through DIA. Fortunately, we were arriving as opposed to departing, because the departing scene was truly ugly. Uh, the lines were snaking everywhere through the terminal. The lines were intersecting with the baggage claim areas. Uh, I counted three separate escalators, including the outside escalator down to the RTD station that were broken or not functional. Uh, any notion of social distance threw out the window uh, because it was just a jam-packed scene. For my article, I talked to an airport spokesperson who tells me things are getting better in the ne this week, next week, uh, early in November, as some of those construction walls, the internal construction walls, come down and evidence progress. I hope so, but a lot of the work is still in the future. The whole new security checkpoints, which is one of the fundamental purposes of the project, those are still two, two full years away. This thing is going to be a mess that stays with us for a good long while and then the question is what is the product at the end and why has no one looking at you Phil Washington who is the new person on deck really communicate with the voters of Denver and the traveling public as to what exactly it is we're buying why are we going through all this brain damage what is the new product I know we flew through LaGuardia and who would ever think that you would look forward to a trip to LaGuardia which is new and shiny and functional and upbeat and uplifting, and you would look at a trip to DIA with fear and loathing. Uh, fear and loathing, indeed. Marianne, Coloradans, it seems, are uh, familiar with construction and waiting through it. I, I remember the T-Rex project, I-25, C-470 more recently, even the Gap project down south of metro area. But as you're navigating that, you can see how it's going to be better. If we can just get through this time, wow, it's going to be great someday. Uh, do you think enough Coloradans going through DIA can see that yet? 
I'd be real, real surprised if people can see that yet. We're heading into the busiest travel season of the year. We've got Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. And given the problems that they're already having at DIA with TSA and security lines and the trains and everything else, I, I fear for the future. And I want to keep my comments short because I want to get to Patty, who has really interesting things to say about this whole situation. Uh, a better segue I could not have designed, Marianne. Without any further ado, someone fresh from D uh, Denver International Airport with a comment or two on the situation. Miss <laughs> Patricia Calhoun. Well, those who watched last week might recall I was preparing for DAA to be my disgrace because I was flying out yesterday on uh, that afternoon. Alarmingly, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I was prepared for horror because you'd heard Phil Washington earlier that day actually having a press conference, admitting how tough st stuff had gotten, admitting it would continue to be tough until they could make some of the improvements. Um, I got there and was in and out of security on a train within half an hour, which is old standards, I would say. That was fine. Uh, I didn't want to press my luck. but So flying out of DIA was great. Of course, I've also learned where the barriers are, and the barriers are indisputably a big mess. Every friend of mine and family member who's come into town has said, how come nothing has happened at this airport? It is still just all these barriers. So flying out was fine. I'd learned my lesson. But flying in, I happened to come right past the area they opened on Wednesday. This is Monday night. And you were looking at this. There's something about the design of the airport. It looks like Tinkerbell's sauna. So you look <laughs> overhead. There's this weird wood as you come up the escalator. And then the floors are these sparkly, sparkly white, for now, tiles. And it all looks shiny and new. But we heard a lot about one of the reasons Ferrovial had trouble dealing with DIA was that Kim Day was kind of getting into a lot of detail work, like tile in the bathroom. I want to know who came up with this scheme. I mean, it looks very, very clean on that sixth level on the east, but it, the floor is Tinkerbell. <laughs> Tinkerbell sauna, I imagine, is going to be trending at some point later this weekend. So for that, uh, Colorado and America, you are welcome uh, from our friend, uh, Ms. Uh, Pede Calhoun. Next topic, the Denver City Council's Safety, Housing, Education, and Homelessness Committee approved a $1.4 million contract for its STAR program this week. The Support Team Assisted Response Program is a civilian-led support service that connects mental health professionals with paramedics in order to address needs oftentimes assigned to police. Eric, this feels like a good idea. I don't know if $1.4 million is going to be able to make a big difference. I'm, I'm no expert. I've never assigned a bunch of people. But it feels like a step in the right direction if done right. What faith do you have that this is a step in the right direction? Well, I think I'm going to kick it back to you, Dominic, because I want to hear you read quickly the name of that committee and the name of the program three times fast, and then, and then, and then we'll go from there. It will be painful for everybody involved, Eric. Uh, I think it is the correct intent. Whether it is the right amount of money, too little, too much, probably not too much, uh, remains to be seen. But it is the correct intent. We have had a lot of silly debates about defunding the police and other things that are more sloganeering and rhetorical. This is something that is tangible and concrete to get mental health professionals responding to calls that are more mental health in nature than they are truly law enforcement in nature. So hooray for that. Let's see how it turns out. Let's evaluate it in six months or a year or 18 months. 
And perhaps I'd argue that if we had more programs such as this at 1.4 million, maybe over the long haul we'll have less 1.2 million dollar settlements that the city just entered into uh, for a case a few years old of somebody who turned out, I think, not to be culpable, thrown to the ground, beaten, tased for no reason whatsoever. Marion, it feels mental health seems like one of these issues that uh, folks from a variety of parts of the political spectrum can get behind. So something like this would be a good idea, but is there is there enough investment, is there enough push for something like this? Not even close. Uh, you see uh, folks like Children's Hospital that declared a mental health crisis for our kids uh, earlier this year. And in addition to the $1.4 million that the city council just approved, there was a million dollars, I think, back in July, perhaps, that they put into this program, which still seems like woefully under-investing in this kind of thing. Um, I think the original pilot uh, for the STAR program had, had uh, discussed that most of the calls that they were getting for, was for trespassing or welfare checks. And that seems like a, a good start on, on getting police out of the mental health business, which I, th I think is the program's intent and, frankly, a laudable one. Patty, uh, a step in the right direction, not enough to be successful. Where are you at on this? Well, they've already shown some success with the program that was started a year ago in October. Murphy Robinson set it up, and in that case, they had some law enforcement involvement with it. Now this takes law enforcement out of it. But when you were calling about an encampment on the streets, there is no reason, unless there are crimes going on, that you're seeing crimes, that you'd need police to respond, when clearly most of the people who need help, even if they're not mental health issues, they're going to need social service issues in most cases. It is not one way where you want to waste law enforcement time or risk maybe a heavy-handed, inappropriate response when instead you can really do something more helpful for the people who are there. So it's a good start. We've already got a year of a pilot under our way. Let's hope it expands and works. David, should we uh, expect to see more programs like this? Well, I, I think the, the intent on this is very good and because police officers can't be trained to be mental health professionals. That, that's a different thing. And I, I think a lot of them would, would appreciate uh, having people who do have the specific training for those kinds of problems being the, the first ones uh, to deal with it. You know, the, the problem is if the only tool you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. And not everything that involves somebody with a mental health problem is something for which the police officer ought to be the first, uh, necessarily the first responder. The... Uh, my guess is that this $1.4 million thing, of course, it's just a start. And it, over time, it may well be expanded if it works well. But let's remember, this is, when, when you just add a few words to a sentence, it can completely change the meaning. So you say, here's a great new program. That means one thing. And you say, comma, and Michael Hancock will be in charge. You know, uh, you can see out at the airport, uh, whatever his skills, uh, being a... a an effective administrator isn't one of them. So with a new program, when he's the mayor, uh, I think it's best to start small and try to build on success from, success from there. Governor Jared Polis announced on Thursday that if COVID numbers do not begin to improve in Colorado, the state has up to five different options to use to address the situation. Among the options include authorizing hospitals to ration care and halting non-emergency medical procedures. Uh, Marianne, it seemed that the governor laid um, mask mandates off the table. That, that's not on the table. We're just going to be trying to uh, give hospitals more options and including maybe even bringing some federal aid. 
From what we've seen so far, do you expect the governor to enact any of these measures? Not with him heading into a re-election year. Not a chance. Uh, I think he's he's very cautious, he's, or he's at least playing it very cautious about how just how many steps he's willing to take in order to bring this thing under control. But here's a number that I want everybody to think about for a second. According to a newsletter I got this morning from the public health director in, Col- in Elbert County, one in every 56 Coloradans is contagious with COVID. And that, I, I have to tell you, that really shocked me. Um, and then and, and part of that news conference yesterday included Dr. Eric France, the, chief, the state's chief medical officer, who pointed out that the state has seen a 400% increase in pediatric COVID infections in September and October, which was double what it was in the previous two months before that. And again, I would go back to Elbert County, that when they're talking about their kids' situation, this week alone, they've reported three cases of COVID for kids under the age of 10, including a three-year-old. Come on, people, let's be smart. If, if you don't care about getting a vaccine because you're making a political statement, think about that three-year-old. I've seen too many pictures of kids in, on ventilators. That three-year-old needs as much protection as anyone else. Patty, we're seeing more vaccinations available for younger um, kids, um, but is that going to be enough to, to stem this wave? Well, if a number of of younger kids do get vaccinated and get vaccinated in a hurry, that's going to help because the big outbreaks right now are at K-12 schools and mostly with students because staffers, for the most part, are already vaccinated. I was just in Massachusetts that has a mask mandate. All indoor spaces, you're supposed to wear a mask. At this point, it doesn't feel that onerous. I don't, I agree with Miriam that Polis will not go there right now, but fortunately for him, other businesses are going that way, and he might not have to. Like you have Cronky with Ball Arena and the Paramount Cafe, I mean the Paramount Theater, which now are going for vaccinations and masks. So you're going to see a lot more businesses take on that burden from the state. David, is that where the, I mean, we've talked about a lot of different issues in this program where the free market can be a solution. Is that where this is one of the, where if businesses are saying, hey, you want to enjoy what we're doing, have proof of vaccination or a negative test, is, is, will that end up pushing more than any government mandate? Um, maybe, and, and I think it's something where, where businesses uh, in, in most situations ought to, ought to have the choice to do it. I, I teach at Denver University, and they have a, a vaccination mandate uh, and, and also testing mandates uh, for all of their employees and students, with, you know, except for some narrowly defined exceptions like, you know, you're immunocompromised, so you can't take the vaccine. Uh, I, I think the data are, are pretty clear at this point that vaccines make a much bigger difference than masks do. Uh, and, and vaccines are not perfect, and, and, and very few vaccines are. You know, you, you don't get 100% lifetime immunity necessarily from almost any vaccine you take, but it definitely improves the odds. Uh, and I would. Enc- I got my booster vaccine yesterday. I, I would encourage people to do it. I, I understand the reluctance because the, the public health establishment uh, has thrown away all its credibility uh, with a year and a half of lies about the uh, uh, epidemic. Uh, but this actually happens to be something where the real facts do support uh, choosing to get a vaccine. Eric, wrap it up for us. Where do we go from here? Well, I think that was a little tough on David's part in terms of the public health establishment. Uh, obviously, there have been problems, but people are doing the best as possible, sometimes better, sometimes worse, uh, but doing it in real time under unusual circumstances. 
Uh, Colorado is definitely going through a bad patch right now, and I don't know what's fully explicable of why that patch is hitting us um, so, so toughly at the moment. Uh, I guess the only thing I really want to add, because I think it's been covered well, is the ripple effects. If, we're st if we get to a point where we need to order or hospitals are not doing cosme cosmetic surgery, who cares, but elective surgeries um, and putting those off, that has ripple effects on people's health as well, and so that is not without its own consequence. Here, here. Tom, get our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week, as always. Patty, please start us off. I can't let DIA off altogether. So at Final Approach, where the cell phone parking lot, where many of us have spent many, many hours, for a while they had a sign on the door that you could only go in and use the restrooms if you were a paying customer, which is not really the approach you want when it's a facility that is a public facility, the whole thing. Now they've come around that problem. They don't have to worry about people going in who are unauthorized because they're locking the doors at 8 o'clock. So it be, be aware if you're going to the cell phone parking lot. Now, maybe they'll move it later at night now, but Monday night it was closed at 8. David? Uh, the useful idiots in the free world who are uh, doing the prep work uh, for uh, China's uh, forthcoming invasion of Taiwan by claiming that Taiwan has always been part of China. Folks, you, you should look at your history. I think it's, it's pretty well agreed now that the Republic of Ireland has a right to be independent from England. And Taiwan has been separate from China for much, 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 much longer periods in history uh, than uh, Ireland was ever separate from England. Eric? Well, I should just go with your tie, Dominic, but that sort of speaks for, <laughs> uh, that, that speaks for itself. Um, Denver attorney, who many of us have known on the political scene for many years, Steve Bahar, who has drifted over the course of a decade or thereabouts into just being a very prominent con artist and uh, somebody I've known in years gone by and it pains me to say that but the truth needs to be said he was booked into Denver jail last night he's now out on bond even the charges against him are now from 2018 there are more current pandemic era charges of various cons he's a grifter he's a con artist and uh, it's bothersome of how he has sunk and how far he has sunk Miriam I have to go with our, our favorite uh, third congressional district representative, Lauren Boebert. Congresswoman Boebert has had quite the week. Um, she, her week has included making fun of the accidental shooting death of the cinematographer on the uh, set of Rust uh, down in northern New Mexico. And then this morning it came out that she had done a, yet another amended campaign finance report with the uh, FEC, in which she claimed that she was running for Congress from Utah. Time to say something nice about somebody. Bumper sticker edition. Patty. Happy Halloween and great Day of the Dead activities around Denver this weekend. David. All over Colorado, people are voting on taxes, debt, spending. We can disagree about the pros and cons of a different issue. We can all be grateful that in Col our Colorado democracy, that right to choose is guaranteed by the Colorado Bill of Rights. Eric. Happy birthday to a viewer of the show. My mother, Marion Sonderman, has a birthday tomorrow that starts with a nine, and it's well into the nines, and uh, congratulations. Here, here, happy birthday. And Marianne. Uh, the Colorado Water Trust, which for 20 years has been trying to help our uh, situations in Colorado, congrats to them on 20 years, and to anybody who enjoys fishing in the Yampa River, the Division of Parks and Wildlife announced this morning they're reopening the river just south of the stagecoach. The rainbow trout are wait.
<laughs> they do indeed. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at PBS 12, hope you all have a very happy Halloween. Thanks for watching. Good night.